This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson. Today I'm talking with Jackie Hill Perry. She's a saint, a wife, a mother, an author, and a poet, and a teacher, and a hip-hop artist. She has a lot going on. And today we're going to be talking about her new book, Gay Girl, Good God. Jackie, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Brad. So before we dive into your book, something I like to ask all of our guests just as a way for people to connect uh, the listeners to the people that we have on is this question about discipleship. Mm-hmm. So the question is, uh, what is Jesus calling you towards right now and challenging you with these days? So much, but I, I feel, I think I've been feeling this pressure to be more present with my daughter because I, I'm self-employed for the most part. So I'm always here, but I'm not always here. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm on my phone or, I'm emailing people um, and she'll be talking to me and I'm talking to her, but not looking at her. Um, And so I'm feeling like this, this pressure to, and it's a good pressure. I think it's a Holy Spirit led pressure to just be present with her and look her in her face and talk to her and be willing to like put things down for a moment um, and play horsey with her if need be, even though it feels like I could be doing something more profitable. I think God is like, no, that is the profitable thing for you to be doing in this time. Mm. That's definitely something that um, the Lord is challenging me with. <laughs> it seems like it would be easier than it is, but it's not. Right. How old is she? She's three. Three. That's a very fun age, but it's such a physically demanding age. Yes, it is. Emotionally draining as well. Yeah, she can communicate and she's full of energy and disobedience and joy all at the mm-hmm. same time. So, <laughs> yeah, which I think that is definitely a challenge that, that the spirit brings because I think often it's easy to, yeah, have obligations, but then also have escape in those obligations yeah. when parenting is so hard. Yeah, because I think about Jesus and the Father. I think about the father, it's like, he's always present with me. You know, when I'm talking to him, even though I don't see him physically, I know he hears me. I know he is genuinely listening to me. And so I think for me to mirror uh, God to her, even as early as three, I need to be not only available, but actively available. Um, And so I, I don't want her to somehow think that I've loved ministry more than I love her mm-hmm. or I love pr- productivity <laughs> more than I love her when I think that really is a, a my own selfish battle. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for sharing that. That's so real and that's so encouraging even just to, to hear that and to know that that's exactly where I'm at most days as well. Because yeah, I'm a pastor, so I mostly work at home and have people over and we're doing meetings and we're hanging out with people and, you know, guys that I'm trying to do life with are coming in and out and it's easy to, for them to think, Oh, like that's, what's really important. I'm just extra baggage. Mm-hmm. And that's something that would stay with them forever about what a father is like. And, you sure will. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't want her to be going to therapy because I couldn't put my emails down. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Totally. Uh, that's so good. So to sort of shift gears into uh, your book, uh, which is fantastic, by the way. It's one of the best Christian books I've ever read. Praise God. Yeah, absolutely. And just the writing itself is so good. Yeah. Which isn't surprising because your poetry and your music is so great as well. But you used active verbs all the time. It was so great. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you didn't think that we were we were dumb as the readers. It was so good. So and then the content of what you shared was phenomenal. It was really challenging for me in seminary. I had to read all sorts of books on all sorts of issues, including homosexuality. And I was like, oh, this will just be another one of those books. Uh, but for me, it was very just challenging. And mm-hmm. so as a Christian who struggles with sin and pride and worship issues and identity problems, and yeah, it was just really worshipful read about God. So mm-hmm. thanks for writing. Yeah, that's deeply encouraging to me. Thank you, Brad. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, so there's probably a lot of people out there that aren't familiar with your story, which is a lot of your your book kind of goes from even conception to uh, your recent history. Yeah. So I, I wonder if you could just bring people up to date on sharing in a, in a brief span. I know you just wrote a whole book about it, but your story. Yeah, um, I think I think the gist uh, of my story is that you know was born into. A situation that was a bit dysfunctional. Um, my parents were not married, nor were they even in a relationship. They just liked doing it together. And so out of that um, came me. And uh, my mother, she loved me well. Um, I cannot say anything bad about how she raised me. Um, my dad loved me as best as he could, which was inconsistently, which was not good, which was not well. That was all he had to give. That was all he had to offer me was uh, not much. And so I think that already kind of determined the way I would see myself, which was I'm not a woman that is loved by her dad, um, but I am a woman that's loved by her mother who happens to be a woman. And so I think being around uh, a woman and other women and seeing their consistency and their loyalty and their love might have in some ways uh, uh, influenced how I saw gender. But I I think growing up, as well as just being a Christian, I mean, not a Christian, being an unbeliever, um, I started to just notice that I liked girls, um, maybe kindergarten, first grade. I really can't figure out uh, when it was, but I knew it was early. I knew it was before I knew how to spell my name. And so I noticed it, didn't know what it was, didn't have a name to put on it because I don't think the TV or however people, however, all the ways in which kids are able to like identify what they feel now because of media. I didn't have that privilege, if that's what you want to call it. Right. So I just was like, I like girls, but I don't know what this is called until I started to go to church. Hmm. And they <laughs> find it for me. Um, but the definition they used was that it was abominable, which is which is in the scriptures. But at the same time, the tone in which they talked about it wasn't a tone that that felt inviting. It didn't it didn't feel as if that was something that I should be out loud about that this is something I'm dealing with. What should I do with it? It's like, oh, I'm an abomination. Cool. I'm going to just keep that to, <laughs> to myself. <laughs> um, so, 
Growing up, I'm feeling all of these desires, affections is raging within me while at the same time um, having some concept of truth because of being uh, surrounded by my aunt who was a believer and going to Sunday school and stuff like that. But high school came and I was just like, you know what, I'm going to do me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just be gay because it's 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 harder to try not to be um, than it would be to just do it. And so I did it, enjoyed it, loved it, felt as if that was who I was. That was who I should have been for a long time. Um, I, in that time, I transitioned into being a stud, which in the black lesbian community is a woman who is the aggressor in the relationship. She usually is the dominant one in the relationships. I wore boxers, wore, what do you call those, sports bras to flatten on my chest. I sagged my pants. I, I just did everything that I could do to be as masculine as I thought I was um, until God came in October 2008. And he just showed me that all of my sin, not just my lesbianism, would be the death of me. Um, and that to to choose him would be actually choosing the worthy option, <laughs> to be choosing the one that is actually the satisfactory or the satisfying one in, in eternity, mm-hmm. which is Christ. And so me turning from my sin wasn't me trying to escape hell. It wasn't me trying to be uh, this heterosexual poster child. It was me choosing Jesus because I saw that he was really the only one that could make me right with God, but also make me whole. And so Mm -hmm. that's my story. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things in your book that you describe is this moment where you have this radical reorientation on who has authority in your life Mm -hmm. and sort of creating or, or experiencing this deep submission to God because as you were just talking about, because he's father and because of his goodness and his love for you. And that that wasn't just about your sexuality. It was about you as a a whole person. And that all these parts of your life, your soul, how you looked at your yourself and other people needed to be redeemed and restored, Mm -hmm. that your sexuality wasn't your only sin issue. Yeah. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Because I think often in the church, even as you shared in your story, it's like, that's all we hear is like, well, you know, our, our gay friends, like their, their only problem is that they're gay. Yeah. I think, and it's going to sound like I'm verbal processing because this is something I'm continually thinking through, but I feel like the culture in general esteems sexuality. Mm-hmm. The way we introduce ourselves as people is I'm gay, I'm straight, mm-hmm. where like our personhood somehow comes out of who we're attracted to. And so I think because of that, now when we are evangelizing or ministering to people or calling people to repentance, we tend to only focus on that. <laughs> which is yeah. let me focus on the fact that you're lustful or let me focus on, the, on your on your porn addiction or let me focus on right. uh you know the fact that you're gay when it's like no we are human beings and being human beings that means that we are very complicated and that we are very mm-hmm. complex and so that there is m- much more to us than who we like and who we love and who turns us on to be frank yeah and so in our ministry to people And I think even when it came to the gospel coming for me, it was God saying, no, I I made all of you and I want all of you. I don't want just your sexuality. I don't want just who you like. I want who you like. I want what you do with your time. I want your money. I want what makes you interested, what makes you happy. I want all of it. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. that puts people in the position to actually surrender holistically 
where people aren't just trying to approve themselves morally. Because a person, a gay person, can easily just stop being gay, quote unquote, outwardly and get into a heterosexual marriage. But all they've done is transition into another idol. They haven't really fully given their lives or their hearts to God um, because they thought that, let me just change this one part and not give God the rest. And so, yeah, I, I think it's sad that we look at each other in that way. Um, but I think mm-hmm. if we get back to looking at each other as image bearers and even ourselves as image bearers, then it will make our surrender a lot more um, total. Yeah, I often imagine that even as, you know, building relationships with people, pastoring folks in our own church, we imagine even as people have to confess sins to their spouses or their roommates or their friends, it's it's only the, the really big, like, blockbuster stuff that they feel <laughs> they need to confess. Yeah. Everything else is, well, I'm pretty good, you know? Like, I didn't murder anyone. Yeah. I haven't, like, laundered all this money. So I'm pretty good, mm-hmm. which definitely, yeah, it reduces our, our image of godness, but it also reduces the cross to this... Mm-hmm. radical insurance policy mm-hmm. of like, if I really screw up, then, then that's what happens. And, and that our, as you're saying, our identity is only our sexuality. Yeah. I guess to me the, the, that a lot of our loud, I call it in the, the my book, loud sins. I think a lot mm-hmm. of our loud sins are motivated by the quiet ones. Mm-hmm. And the quiet ones usually are determined by a why. Why? Are you doing this? So the my loud sin might have been homosexuality, right? The quiet sin that motivates that is pride. The why of that is why do you feel that it would be best for you to be your own authority? Mm-hmm. And I think God cares about that. I think God cares about <laughs> the why, getting to the smallest part of the problem and dealing with that so that if he can uproot the root of the issue then we don't have to be living our lives thinking we done repented <laughs> and we haven't. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that definitely gets into the the realm of, of even temptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have a powerful chapter about temptation in your book because we often just think, oh, it's about removing that button on the vending machine. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not going to push that button anymore. And so now I'm good. I've gone four or five years without pushing that sin button or pulling that lever. Mm. But really it's like 20 other levers produced itself in that place. You know, like now I'm gluttonous. Now I'm a liar. Now, you know, it's like the shame and the the desire to have authority over ourselves mm. doesn't get removed because we download an app on our phones yeah. or, or those things. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And so I guess, yeah, building more on that temptation question, uh, something that you you write in your book is that not only does the gospel save you, it keeps you. I think a, a mentor was someone who clarified that for you. Yeah. And even in that realm that our temptations own us and it's on us, like the gospel brings us in the door, but now it's for us to just sort of muster up the mm-hmm. skills to to resist sin. How do you see the gospel being alive today and just keeping you from from all sin? Yeah. Uh, and how do you respond even when you, you know, even as you're sharing earlier, when you do ignore your child and you aren't present with her and you fall into that temptation? I really love the gospel because it has so much to say about today. Mm-hmm. When I was a new believer and my discipler told me that when she told me that the gospel doesn't just save you, save you, but it keeps you. 
it was deep to me and revelatory in a way because I thought, oh yeah, Jesus died, rose from the grave. Great. Now let's get on to like Thessalonians and, you know, let's (laughs) move to deeper things of the scriptures as if that was just only an introduction to the Christian life and not what sustains me in the Christian life. And so I think even if I were to, to, to talk about it in relation to my parenting, it's that Jesus died for my sin. And so even my sin of selfishness or finding identity and being productive, which is something I struggle with. I can know that Jesus died for that. So I don't have to carry that shame. I don't even have to see that that's something that is a part of my identity, but rather something that was nailed to the cross, but also Jesus rose. And so in his rising, I can also see, okay, this is my struggle, but it's not something that I have to be enslaved to because the fact that the grave is empty means that I can walk very much um, in authority and in power over the things that tempt me and the things that feel as if they control me, but they really don't have any control over me because death doesn't. And so I think just fleshing out the gospel and its implications into everyday life is really what God is calling all believers to do. Yeah, because I think that's what frees us. I don't think God wants us to think, oh, I've saved you. Now you continue to save yourself. No, that's Mm-hmm. Unbiblical. <laughs> like God, the Holy Spirit is the one empowering us to live out the gospel implications that have uh, come alive in us because of our repentance and our faith, and primarily His grace. Right. Yeah. Which is phenomenal news. Uh, that's Amazing. it's as if we're dreaming. Right. <laughs> that kind of news. That's what I love about the Psalms. It's like we're like those people who dream. Yeah. yeah it's that good. But also, I think there's this element where. Many believers get, and myself included, so I'm not special, get super discouraged when we walk through that process and then we continue to be tempted and the temptations get strong and then we find ourselves back into the same sins and then having to do the whole confession to the people that we love and do do the repentance thing all over again. And that's discouraging. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that? I think looking at Jesus, we can see that there is hope Hmm. in that he was here, not for a long time. He was here for 33 years. That's that's young. But this is God. (laughs) And God was tempted all the time, yet without sin. And so I think that there is hope for the Christian that even as we struggle daily, we really do have the ability to wear our cross. Um, I I think I talk about this in the book, how uh, Jesus tells us to take up your cross daily. He doesn't say, take it on Monday, you know, Mm -hmm. good into the rest of your life. It's like, no, every single day, there is something that I have to die to. And sometimes I might drop the cross. Sometimes the cross might have me bent down where my nose is touching the ground. Sometimes the cross is something I I just don't even want to pick up. But the truth of the matter is, is that Christ carried that cross for us, for us to pick it up. So even when we do drop it, we can pick it up. Even if it is heavy, we can bear it. Um, Not by ourselves, with community, um, with the spirit, but either way, we really do have hope. And so I know it's discouraging. It is a discouraging thing to not please God as often or as uh, zealously as we ought. But I think looking, I think reminding ourselves of eternity to me is encouraging that I won't be fighting forever. I really won't. Mm. Um, Maybe if I have another 30 
40 years. That is really small compared to the weight of glory um, that I'll experience one day in eternity. And so we can we can keep going if we keep uh, looking to the joy that's set before us. Yeah, absolutely. This is so momentary. Super. Yeah, which is such a good thing. I get excited about that. <laughs> I can do this forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Praise God, this is an eternity. For real talk. Yeah. Come back fast. Yeah, Jesus. Please. Another thing I think that that was fascinating about your book is the reality of you having this, this moment where God just pursues you, convicts you of sin, but also just redeems you, lavishes his love on you. And then you begin walking into Christian community. Mm-hmm. And I think that that perspective is so wonderful because often, you know, in the missional church or even like as Christians today, we're like, oh, like all we really want is to like reach new people, see new people come into the faith. But we don't really have an idea of what that must feel like Mm -hmm. to come into Christian community uh, when you all you heard was that you were an abomination before. Yeah, maybe you could just sort of speak to that, like the role of community and these other Christians. Because, yeah, you had relatives, you had disciples in your life. Yeah, I feel like the people that God used the most were the people that treated me really normally. (laughs) They didn't treat me like a project to be fixed. Um, They really just kind of treated me like a person to be loved. Mm. And doing that, it was like, oh... I'm just Jackie with you. I'm not the ex-lesbian. I'm not the lesbian. I'm just a person who has likes and loves and uh, vices, but also giftings. And so I think when I went to my first church uh, as a new, new believer, and when I say new believer, I mean like 14 days old, it was a terrifying thing because I haven't, I hadn't been back to church since uh, forever. Um, I didn't go to churches because I just didn't like how, I didn't like how I felt in them. I didn't feel, uh, it just felt weird and strange and I didn't like it. But I think when I first went to the church, I tell this story in the book about how this woman named, I didn't mention her name in the book, but her name is Melissa. Melissa came up to me and she said, Hey, what's your name? And I was like, Jackie. And she said, Jackie. And she nodded her head and kind of looked up a bit as if she was trying to like put my name into like her mental Rolodex or something. And that (laughs) was so subtle and so small, but it meant so much because it was like, oh, you want to remember me when I come back. Like my name isn't some some type of small talk to get to the real thing. It's no, you want to know me. You want to remember me. And I think uh, my church at that time, they weren't the most theologically solid church, but they were abounding in love. And I think that's Mm. what I needed. I needed to go to a place where I felt that people cared about me and in their caring for me when rebukes came, when challenges came, when um, certain hard texts of scripture came, I was more willing to believe it because I trusted that they, they, they had my best interest in mind. Um, and so I think for me, I recognize that the community is vital for my soul. I would not be alive in Christ <laughs> without the church, without people to walk with me and love me and point me to truth. And so I think as an encouragement just for um, churches, it would be to to just be you. 
be the church, be the bride, be all that God has called us to be as individuals, loving people, bearing with people, weeping with people, um, sharing the truth when when necessary, listening when necessary. And I think that is really what the gay community needs. It's not that they need to hear the gospel all of the time, which we do need, but they also need to see the gospel in the people that the gospel has redeemed. And so, yeah, church is great. Church is great. <laughs> church is a mess, but it's great. Yeah, sometimes we get it right. We do. Yeah. So a lot of my personal experience, too, is having, I have several friends who are gay. Most of the people in my church have many friends who are gay and coworkers who are very different from them and, and all sorts of different gender identities and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think the, the other temptation is to say, like, okay, can we somehow just like change what we believe mm-hmm. about this? Because if we were more opening and affirming, like as a church, and I would feel better about it as I interacted in, you know, the entertainment industry. Yeah. But I know that like what scripture says is what scripture says. And so like, those are things that I often hear people saying is like, and then eventually won't we just like catch up to the times is something that many people in my church ask me if we can do. I don't know if there's a question for that. I think that's a real, a real burden. I I think there's this tension as a human where it's like, this is my friend. My friend loves who they love. I love them. So why don't we just let them do them? Cool. Right. (laughs) That's just, that seems like the most common sense route because we are sinners. That's the Mm -hmm. reason why it makes sense. When we think about God and all that God is and his primary intentions for us, Colossians 1.16 says that all things are created through him and for them, including me, my affections and my body. And so if that is the case, then it, it, it really is the most unloving thing I could do is to make mm. you feel as if you can function apart from the ways in which you were created and be happy forever. That's not loving. Mm-hmm. That's not kind. And so I think what has been helpful for me is I have to see God as the highest good. When I see God as the highest good and the ultimate joy, then I'm able to not feel guilty for pointing people to Jesus because I'm actually pointing them th- pointing them to the only one that they were created for. They weren't created for relationships primarily. They weren't created for sex primarily. They were created for God and being created for God. How we express that is we express ourselves in sexual ways, but we do it in a way that makes God happy. We express ourselves in relational ways because God is relational, but we do it in a way that makes God happy. And so I get it. I really do. (laughs) if If we see God rightly, then it puts everything back into perspective. Yeah, that's so good. So my favorite line from your book just to keep flattering you. I know that's awkward when people read their books back to them, but I just want to read it if that's cool, because I think it gets to what you're saying. I think it's, yeah, one of the last chapters. You say, identity is a big deal. It's like a language we carry on our faces. says a lot of what we believe about God, ourselves, and others. Unable to help itself, it will determine the how that governs our steps. The way we move about the world can always be traced back to the question, who am I today? And what is God always? Mm. I love that that question 
at the end, what is God always, which, yeah, definitely gets to the title of the book. Mm-hmm. But essentially, you, you go on to say that the truest indicator of who we are is not what we're doing today, but who God has always been and who he will always be. Yeah, yeah, that's basically a lot of what you were just saying as well. And I think when we get in these relationships and we love people really well and we're friends and or we're, you know, brothers or relatives, it's, yeah, it's hard to lose sight of God as the, the highest good. Yeah, it is. Because we, we see these people all the time. We, we, we see them. We, <laughs> we talk to them. We do life with them. We go to, you know, Starbucks with them. Mm-hmm. I think God is invisible. He's a spirit. And so it is by faith that we have to believe that he actually is the highest good. Mm-hmm. It is something that we just see, <laughs> you know, and I think that's what makes it more difficult. Um, and so I think that's what puts pressure on me as a believer then to make sure that I'm spending enough time with him where it becomes easier to believe that he really is what he says that he is because of my time with him. To me, at least, it seems the most offensive part of the gospel or about the Bible just in general, isn't necessarily what it says about sexuality or what we should do with money or science things or any of that. What makes it really offensive is it says Jesus is Lord. He reigns over all things and he's worthy of our worship, not us or not anybody else. That's like the real offensive piece. Yeah. Like, what do you mean you reign? You're Lord. Get out of here. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's like nobody tells me what to do. Yeah, how dare you? Yeah. That's the real rub, right? Yeah. I think that's what I I really appreciated when I read um, John Piper's Christian Desiring God, um, because I really do see myself as a Christian hedonist, because I had to really get to the the root of the problem, which is I don't believe God being Lord is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I needed to, to really wrestle with that and see, no, like... Why do you think that you being Lord is better as if you're a holy Lord or a perfect Lord or an omnipotent Lord or a a just Lord? Like you don't even have any of these characteristics to think that your Lordship is better than God's. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to see like, nah, if God is holy, that means he can't lie to me. So every promise that he's ever told me is true. If God is holy, that means he, he loves me truly and he's not lying about it. And so if he is Lord, then I really am safe with him as my master than I could ever be with me running my life. Because obviously me running my life would always, always end up with me looking and loving the devil. And I don't think that's great (laughs) at all. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't sound good. Nah, not not in the end. It feels great, but it, it it don't turn out that way. What we want, though, is to like give God pointers on how to be a manager in our lives, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, well, if you could say it like this, then I probably could follow you. Yeah. Or if you could kind of adopt this political view, that'd be really grand Mm -hmm. because then, then I can go wherever you want me to go. And uh, yeah. Thanks Jackie for joining the podcast. Thank you, Brad. Anything else people need to know about your book? Um, That it is available at gaygirlgoodgod.com. I hope that the primary walk away from the book is, isn't really that you get to know me, but it's, it's that you get to know the Lord really well, um, or as, as well as I could have painted him. And so I just want this to be a book 
um, that exalts Christ and his gospel for the church and for the, the, the people that the church is trying to reach. Because I, I can't do anything. I, I have no power. Uh, my story is not the gospel. Um, but I hope that my story will, 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 will give light to the gospel as something that needs to be believed for all people. Amen. That's so good. Yeah, I pray that that's the case as well, that people encounter Jesus. Yeah, thanks so much for being here uh, on the podcast. And for all you listeners out there, thanks for listening. Hope this has been beneficial, encouraging. Definitely check out Jackie's book and her music. And yeah, you can even find great YouTube videos of her spoken word stuff. Uh, It's all just pointing you to Jesus. So enjoy that. And we'll talk again soon. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.